Good evening, ghouls and fiends. Welcome once again to the Ministry of Horror. Uh, it's business as usual tonight, um, gang. Evil Tez. Oh, uh, well, you know, got to play the part, haven't you? Um, yes, that's, I'm your host, as per usual, Tez. Um, and this is the Ministry of Horror, a weekly horror show where we talk news, reviews, and a main discussion point of the week. Uh, got a few people in the chat already. Hey, King. Hey, Bruce. Fran. Hey, Head of Steel. How's it going, everybody? I hope y'all are good. Hope you're having a nice time. Um, we had a lot of fun last week. Uh, very thankful. I should definitely give another thanks to uh, Crimson Mel and Olas uh, Carter for coming on the show. Had a blast with those guys. If you haven't already checked it out, you can find it on the network or on uh, you know, the uh, uh, podcast library, the Horror Face-Off. Heck of a lot of fun. Got to think of some other things to do with those guys on the show for sure. Lot of fun, and I hope you guys enjoyed it too. Um, we had fun on the Ministry of Slam on Sunday. Um I mean, it's kind of been a quiet week on resting, but we've got Crown Jewel coming up this weekend, so I imagine things are going to get uh, get spicy. Hey, Baby Ice is in the chat. Um, but yeah, I today's been the first day in a month that I've not watched a horror film. Uh, I'm not going to complain the slightest, because, I mean, what better excuse to watch a horror film every day than 31 Days of Halloween? The only kind of downside being when I've tried to watch new films as well, you end up having some days where you've got three films. And there's been a couple of instances where I maybe haven't been able to watch a film on that day, so I've watched two the following day. So on average, uh, for the challenge, I averaged out the 31 uh, films for the 31 days of October. And then some, with some additionals thrown on top. And we'll get to some of those on today's reviews. Um, ooh, not really been much else to kind of discuss. I've been reading... Reading like a motherfucker again for my studies. Once again, it's been a case of last week. I'll read 100 or so pages, then do the chapter of study text. Okay, fine. This week, I'll read the remaining, you know, 280 pages, and then do the study text. Like, oh, fucking hell. I am getting better at quick reading, though, but I don't know how much I'm retaining. Um, which does mean that my horror bookshelf is getting bigger. I've got Stephen King's Fairy Tale, uh, Still to Read, and Garth Marenghi's... Um, Garth Marenghi's Terror Tome comes out the end of this week, I think, or next week. He is doing a book tour. I think I put it on the in the Discord. I think I'm going to try and go to either the, the one in Bath or Oxford. Um, but yeah, Matthew Holness as Garth Marenghi is going to be doing a book tour. Um, for people who may not know, I did a, a whole show on it a little while back, but Garth Marenghi's Dark Place was a huge part of my sixth form college uh, college years. Uh, but hey, we've got Erratic Agent in the chat, and also my name is not Earl, don't worry guys, we were just in the preamble at the moment, we've not got into, uh, we've not got into it, and yeah, 31 plus films of Halloween. <whistles> a lot, it's been a lot to do. <laughs> and hey, we've got Lawrence in the chat as well. Um, but yeah, so on today's show, we're back, back to business as usual, we've got some news to go through, look at some new films coming out this week, got a few reviews to go through, uh, including terrifier 2 which we will be talking about uh kind of as part of the main topic of today's show which is about clowns we are talking about clowns in horror i've cherry picked a few films uh there's going to be some that you can generally you're going to be expecting a couple that you may not be uh, and hopefully it'll turn you on to those films you may like them you may not one of them 
is a gem. The other one, the clown in it is pretty cool and creepy. The film itself isn't that good, but the clown is very good for being a creepy murder clown. And you may not know about it. It's one of those films that I caught late at night on the Sci-Fi Channel years ago, as as a lot of my horror education was the old school Sci-Fi Channel. But without further ado, let's look at uh, the latest horror films. Now, what what sound bites have I got? I don't think I've got my sound bites turned on yet, so let's just put that on. We can go for. Yeah, okay, that can be our news noise. So I'll put a link in the live chat. I am also aiming to try and keep the show to a lean length this week. The last few I've thought will be fairly quick and they'll end up being two, two and a half to three hours long. <laughs> Which then means I get to bed even late because I've got to do the podcast uh, audio stuff. So I'm going to try and keep this a lean show tonight. We'll see. I mean, fucking hell, half the time it normally takes me 45 minutes to get through the news. But we've only got seven new horror films this week, so there's a good chance we'll get through it. So first up, and this comes from blooddisgusting.com, John Squires. Uh, Bloody Disgusting has unleashed the brand new Screenbox original horror movie, Deep Fear, today, which will take you deep into the catacombs exclusively on Screenbox. Post-graduation celebration turns into a fight for survival in the catacombs of Paris in Deep Fear, a Belgian-French survival horror movie that's also available on VOD outlets now. Three students celebrate their graduation by visiting the Paris catacombs when they discover a bunker formerly occupied by the Nazis. Little do they know, it's not the only thing that was left behind. Something, someone, is now hunting them. That's such a Garfunkel line. Uh, Gregory Begin directs the claustrophobic terror from a script by Nicholas Takian, uh, Sophia Lassaferi, Victor uh, Mutalit, Joseph uh, Olivenez, and Cassim uh, Mistiaster. I felt that I had to... That's a French production. French-Belgian production, so I, you know, apologies if that caused any offence. Uh, uh, Bloody Disgusting mentioned this is a dark, dank, and bloody French horror uh, that's making a comeback, and Deep Fear delivers the goods. I like some French horror. Some French horror is a bit extreme, going to be honest. Uh, as above, so below-esque, yeah. You know, the French, the catacombs, are uh, ripe for horror settings. There was a film called Catacombs, which I think had pink in it. It wasn't, it wasn't that good. But it's such a unique location, isn't it, that... Uh, and as above, so below is one of those found footages that I had a bit, kind of fairly low expectations going in. Pleasantly surprised. It's good. I liked it. Uh, inventive, what they did for the effects. Anyway, for, moving on. With Halloween over. Um, oh, those sausages. So bloody, dis well, not, not necessarily blood disgusting, but a couple of these trailers aren't available in the UK. Not all of them. Initially, I was going to badmouth bloodydisgusting.com, but uh, I guess it's just the, the filmmakers or the uh, the distribution companies have uh, geo-locked their trailers. It's a trailer. It's a YouTube trailer. What's the, what's the deal? Um, anyway, with Halloween over, we now move over into the arena of Christmas horror, and a brand new movie in that shop genre has already arrived today. It's humorously titled The Killing Tree. Uh, Killing Tree unleashes a giant killer Christmas tree and it's now available on VOD. In the latest horror movie from Uncorked, uh, on Christmas Eve, a scorned widow casts an ancient spell to resurrect her executed husband. However, when the spell goes wrong, the husband is brought back as an evil Christmas tree. Hell-bent on getting revenge on the one who causes execution, the body count keeps rising as the tree hunts her down. Can anyone stop this killer Christmas tree before he gets to his target? 
<laughs> Reese Freak Waterfield directs with the cast including Sarah, Alexandra Marks, Marcus Massey, Judy Ch uh, Cherniak, Sarah T. Cohen, and a few other people. Um, Bruce Todd, this is where you talk about today's sponsors, NordVPN. Well, if you're having problems with your VPN, <laughs> no, we don't have any sponsors yet. Uh, I imagine the first sort of sponsors we'd get would be something like um, whatever those underwear is that everyone sponsors and blue chew it's always those two isn't it blue chew and uh easy pants or whatever they're called i can't remember um Fran can you released a christmas horror movie film in november sorry you don't understand seasons i hope that's not directed to me i didn't release the film um but for me i am one of those people that is very much christmas oh yeah that's uh, fran also says the other uh, regular sponsors usually raid shadow legends if any of these people want to sponsor us by all means throw your coin our way we'll shill your product it's fine um uh yeah i am one of those people who you can call me a scrooge or whatever i couldn't give a shit um but for me christmas doesn't start until december and even for me i'm more like christmas is really christmas eve christmas day boxing day done i don't give a shit about christmas um i haven't for a long time it's all cool if people like to celebrate Christmas in December. I will. Oh, that's cool. Oh, that's fine. It's when people get to, sometimes people as early as October will be like, oh, yeah, Christmas is coming. Let's put on all I want for Christmas. I take a bit of a dislike to those people. Nice people, but fucking hell. Give it a rest. <laughs> um, let's just have a quick look at the chat. So what we got here. Um, finally, an evil Christmas tree killer. My name is Noel says. Baby Ice, Evil Dead Tree versus Christmas Tree. Book it. Should also mention the first image has been released. I did put it in the Discord for Evil Dead Rise. I mean, we've only got an image to go on, but I am I'm I'm intrigued. I do like the Evil Dead uh, franchise. Oh, what else we got in the chat? Um, oh, Fran Cannon. No, aimed at the film company. It's too early. Maybe I'd give it a pass if it was the last week of November. That's fair. That's fair, Fran. I, you know, I'd agree with that. Bruce Todd, I like Crimbos, and it's just, it's it's an excuse to start drinking at eleven a.m. <laughs> I also got Meryl in the chat. He's put Miley Cyrus emojis in there. Fair dues. Um, yeah, yeah, I, that's a fair point, Bruce. That's a fair point. Get your drinking started early. Why not? Um, let's move on. Based on the creepy pasta tale of the Russian sleep experiment, director John Farrelly's The Sleep Experiment has been released on digital outlets today from Red Water Entertainment. And there is a trailer in the in the link for this. Uh, the Irish psychological thriller is now available on a number of digital and cable platforms, including iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, In Demand, or I In Demand, and Dish starting today. Two, two detectives begin an investigation on the ethics involved in the top-secret research facility, Porton Down. Uh, one experiment in particular stands out to them as the most horrific, the sleep experiment, a scientific experiment that took place during the Cold War. The experiment consisted of five prisoners deemed enemies of the state being locked in a sealed gas chamber. An airborne stimulant was continually administered to keep the subjects awake for 30 consecutive days. The prisoners were falsely promised that they would be set free from the prison if they completed the experiment. I was initially going to go, wow, if that's real, that sounds crazy, but it, it's based on a creepypasta. Creepypastas are essentially the modern urban legend. Uh, very interesting, you know, that's... Creepypastas where we've got Slenderman. Not Slenderman the film, which is absolute shit, but the, you know, the urban myth of Slenderman. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not too au fait of creepypastas. To be honest, 
I know of them because of um, Slender Man and then um, the TV series Channel Zero. Each series was based on a creepypasta. But the whole phenomenon of fandom of creepypastas kind of went by, flew under my radar completely. I never jumped onto that bandwagon of checking online and reading these stories. I'd imagine I'd have been down. You know, I'd have been interested uh, in it, but... um, uh, <laughs> I'd imagine they are quite interesting. An interesting rabbit hole to go down, as long as you are aware that they are not real. Uh, in the chat, um, make more Pootie Tang movies. Oh, you're the first person, King, that I know that actually knows what Pootie Tang is. I had the DVD for that. <laughs> uh, Bruce Todd, I like the sleep experiment story. This is intriguing. Well, check that out, Bruce. I believe it's available now from Digital Outlets today. The sleep experiment is the name. Brown Cannon Port and Down, that's my neck of the woods. Yeah, I've got a friend who works for, like, not for the military, but uh, involved in military defense simulation software. And he often has to go to Port and Down. And it's a name that I always hear and go, oh, I don't know what that is. Um, King, but Todd, but is it true? That's the question. If so, how did the mind get them to turn into monsters? Uh, not as interesting as SCP, but still groovy. Hmm. Oh la la. So, next up, one of the most consistently fresh and exciting teams out there, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, who did Resolution, which I don't know if I've seen. They did Spring, which Spring is very good. Uh, VHS Viral, I've not seen. The Endless, I think I've seen. And Synchronic, I have seen. Um, I'll pack with a brand new movie, Something in the Dirt, and it's coming to theaters on November 4th from XYZ. In Something in the Dirt, two new neighbours witness what seems to be a supernatural event in one of their apartments. At first terrified, they realise that documenting this phenomenon could provide them the lives they've always dreamed of. It's a sort of love letter to Los Angeles, the duo explain, and the movie is a mystery, so we don't want to give too much away, but generally, the movie is about these two new neighbours, one of them just moved into an apartment, something that might be paranormal or otherworldly happens, and they decide to explore it together. They add, it's a reaction to, what if you made the X-Files today? How would you do it? They say the film also deals with the moral duties of a sci-fi writer today. <laughs> They're an interesting team. I can't say that anything I've seen of theirs has blown me away, but it's been decent. <laughs> Quick swig at H2O. Uh, a, oh, we've talked about this previously as a, a news piece a couple of weeks back. But a sequel to Joko Anwar's horror movie Satan Slaves is on the way this week, with Shudder releasing Anwar's Satan Slaves Communion on November 4th. The film, which is the first Indonesian movie shot with IMAX technology, will stream exclusively on Shudder in the US, Canada, the UK, Ireland, Australia and New Zealand from November 4th. Released theatrically in Indonesia in August, the film became one of the first local productions to score big at the post-pandemic box office. A family living in a rundown apartment after escaping terror from their mother, who returned from death, realised that their new home is a bigger threat to their lives. Tara Basro, Bronte Palaira, uh, and Edri Andy Arafini are back from the sequel, starring alongside new faces including Muzaki uh, Rabdhan and Fatih Unru. Uh, Anwar's Satan Slaves was originally released in 2017, currently streaming on Shudder as a Shudder original. The film was a remake of an Indonesian film from Satan Slaves from the 1980s. Still not seen the original yet. Or, oh, wow, I said the original. Still not seen the Shudder exclusive Satan Slaves. But for fans, 
there's a new film coming along. Check that out. Next up. Produced by Blumhouse and directed by Beth de Araujo, South by Southwest movie Soft and Quiet has been picked up by Momentum Pictures, coming to theatres on VOD uh, and VOD, sorry, on November 4th. The movie follows a single afternoon in the life of an elementary school teacher as she organises a mixer of like-minded women. When the group heads home, the teacher encounters a woman from her past, leading to a volatile chain of events. Uh, Stephanie Estes, Olivia Luca- Lucardi, Eleanor Pienta and uh, Dana M- um, Millican star in Soft and Quiet. Um, okay, sounds like a bit of a nice thriller. I'm down for a thriller. The Blumhouse production, which could mean anything these days, l- lest us forget that Halloween Ends was Blumhouse production. No offence for people who enjoyed Halloween Ends. It's one of those films, just the more I've thought about it, the more I've gone, it's going to be a while till I rewatch this. Um... But Halloween, you know, Blumhouse have done a lot of a lot of great horror. You know, they've done a lot of good stuff for horror in the mainstream. You know, in the last last few years, for sure. So, what I'm essentially saying is, it could be good. It could be eh, middling that it's a, a Blumhouse production. Uh, and then moving us onto our last new film, Magnet Releasing acquired North American rights to writer-director Mally Elfman's genre movie, Next Exit, which will explore the afterlife in theatres and on VOD this week. Uh, It comes out on Friday, November 4th. In the film, when a research scientist makes national news proving she can track people into the afterlife, Rose sees a way out and Teddy sees his chance to finally make it. These two strangers, both harbouring dark secrets, race to join the Doctor's contentious study and leave this life behind. While Rose is haunted by a ghostly presence that she can't outrun, Teddy is forced to confront his past. As these two misfits humorously quarrel their way across the country, they meet people along the way who force them to reckon with what is really driving them. Rahul Kohli stars alongside Katie Parker, Rose McIver, Tongue Chirisia, Tim Griffin, Diva Zappa, Nico Evers Swindell and Karen Gillan in Next Exit. Hmm. So I think that's a bit of a reunion of uh God, what was that show? I think I've only ever seen one episode of it. Didn't didn't look like it was my sort of thing. I Zombie. I'm sure that was Rose McIver and Rahu Kohli starring in that. Um Sounds interesting. And yeah, as I've mentioned before, I mean when I tried to do a little bit of um uh Warhammer painting, which I do need to look at going back to as I've learnt things not what you know, what not to do. Uh, that's because I've seen like uh, Rahu Kohli talking about it on online. I I've seen him before in Funhouse videos, Funhouse like a sort of comedy channel uh, on YouTube, and uh, yeah, he's been in Haunting of Blind Manor, uh, Midnight Mass. He's also in at some point um, the Midnight Club, which I've only just started this week. With me finishing this Thirty One Days of Horror, I've been able to get catch start catching up on TV. Watched the first two episodes, I think, of The Watcher. Not too sure. Um, I've watched the first two or three episodes of Cabinet of Curiosities. Very good so far. Very, very good. And I did start the very first episode of um, The Midnight Club. So, um, yeah. Oh, King of Wookamunda in the chat. We need a zombie clown. That would that would be Zombieland, my friend. There is a zombie clown in Zombieland. A friend of can says, I, zombie. Yeah, that's the, that was the show. Baby Ice... Uh, Boo Blumhouse and Blue, Boo Haddonfield. 
<laughs> My name is not Earl. I think you win this round. It could be Blah House. You never know with Blumhouse. I like that. I like that. Because it's true. Some Blumhouse films are excellent. Um, but then they've just had, you know, not everything hits out of the park. It's not like most A24 films I've seen have been good, have been really good. Like I, I completely missed to review a few weeks back Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Uh, I'll just say now, I'll give it an 8 out of 10. I thought it was fun. Um, but it generally feels like a bit of a nice kind of highbrow bit of horror. Blumhouse, you get some great stuff. They do put out a lot of, a lot of films, and not everything is great. I like that. Blah house. Um, Jara, is the peripheral on Prime on your watch list? It is. I think it's based on... Oh, I've got the author's... One of the author's books here. Uh, Sorry, this is dead air. I've got one of the... Is it William Gibson? That's the author for the periphery? Yeah, I've got a William Gibson book somewhere. I literally can't see it for uh, for looking. Um, so I know he's a very famous author. I don't know if this is his most famous book, but I've got Neuromancer. It's on my on my read list. I just you know since doing the studying, I haven't read anything other than study books. Um. But yeah, periphery, peripheral, sorry, that is on my watch list to get through. I, I still need to finish Rings of Power. It's kind of like hate watching it at the moment, to be honest, because I thought the the final sort of trailers for it won me over. The first episode was really good. Since that point, I've just, I've just been struggling. Um, I think I've got two to three episodes left of uh, Rings of Power. So that's kind of what I want to finish prime-wise. But uh, yeah, it's Chloe Grace Moret. She's a good actress. Um, it does look very interesting, the peripheral. Um, I <laughs> found the cannon in the chat, or it could leave you feeling glum. House, very good, very good, guys, very good. Uh, baby, I so started the new season of American Horror Story. It's horrible. Uh, if they usually start off good and fall off by the end, this season isn't even starting off good. But that's a shame. I, I, I did eventually start watching 1984. I got through two thirds of the season, and it's started off so well but it did the same thing that i find with every season of american horror story except maybe the first interesting premise good moments great gore um gets to about halfway through and it's like where where is this going it feels like it's reached a conclusion i've talked about this a few times before and we'll talk about it a bit later on because that does feature a bit into the main discussion um and i did watch the first two episodes of american horror stories the ones that are kind of connected I'll be honest, I wasn't too impressed with what I saw from American Horror Stories, purely because their approach to cl uh, not clowns, <laughs> I don't know why I've got clowns on the brain, their approach to ghosts just never really interests me, because it's like, well, they're basically alive and humans, but they just have to stay in that location. Like, they can kill people, but they're ghosts. They're corporeal. But they're ghosts. I don't know. It's just it's always been a bit confusing to me, their approach to ghosts. Um Blumhouse is like Marmite, Bruce Todd says. Uh, one of their dash cams, uh, many loved it, including me, but so many didn't. So is that because there's two films called Dash Cam that released at the same time? One is from the director of Host or Hosts, 
and then there was another one. I don't know which one's the Blumhouse film. Um, and Baby Lies, didn't Gibson do Johnny um, Mnemonic? I never saw that um, or, or read that. But I know he does a lot of cyberpunk. Basically, I think the cyberpunk genre was kind of started by him, is my understanding. Uh, that's it, though, for the new films. Let's move on. Featuring kind of as part of the main discussion a bit later on. Uh, Terrifier 2 is now streaming on Screenbox as their box office total approaches $8 million. This comes from Brad Miska at Blood Disgusting, who kind of bankrolled or produced uh, Terrifier 2. Uh, not only has Terrifier 2 continued its historic run box office its historic run box office run but the splatter core ultra slasher is now screaming screaming what am I talking about streaming exclusively on Screenbox the bloody disgusting powered streaming platform available on all of your devices and for those of you who want to own a physical copy pre-orders are live here it's been somewhat of a fever dream watching Terrifier 2 go viral, which helped propel Damien Leon's slasher sequel to another 1.87 million weekend for a 7.7 box office total million. While the film is streamed on Screenbox, it's expected to stay in theatres for at least one more weekend. Uh, it's become somewhat of a pop culture phenomenon, not only getting referenced on the Halloween edition of Saturday Night Live, but Buffalo Bill's wide receiver Gabe Davis also wore Art the Clown cleats on the national broadcast of Sunday Night Football. Uh, the official trailer launched to 5 million views and Art the Clown costumes are popping up everywhere. Um, and I love that Art Terrifier 2's final girl, Sienna, is also becoming an icon. Oh, did I mention that Terrifier 2 is now certified fresh at 87% on Rotten Tomato? Interesting. Interesting. Um, we'll get to my review later on, but I mean, let's we'll put this into perspective. This film had a 250k budget, which an independent film or a when i say independent film like a self-funded project that's huge money but for independent cinema alone that's not a huge amount of money like you can get independent films that will have a modest budget of like two to three million you know studio funded films will be you know 10 million would be considered low up to you know obviously big blockbusters which will be you know 100 million plus but 250k in the grand schemes of cinema is, is a tiny budget. Um, and to make 8 million, almost, uh, for a film which is just meant to have limited theatrical release, and the buzz that's come along with it, it's a huge achievement. Whether you like Art the Clown or not, it's, uh, it's really good going. And it's great for independent cinema. So, um, you know, congrats to Bloody Disgusting, to um, Damien Leone, and uh, obviously, you know, the Terrifier filmmaking team um the chat saying um terrifier 2 best horror of the year says bruce todd my name is not earl i'm so happy terrifier 2 is getting the recognition it deserves king if the clown from house of a thousand corpses didn't pass or if he was younger i could have imagined the horror movies he would have done his face with the clown makeup was scary as fuck bruce todd absolutely loved the first one waited so very long for the sequel um there we go so it is available now on screenbox we don't get screenbox in the uk which is a bit of a piss take but if you have a vpn <laughs> um you know do that uh next up from bodiscussing.com john squires the texas chainsaw massacre 4k ultra hd release coming next year from dark sky films Officially teased for Halloween yesterday, Dark Sky Films is bringing Toby Hooper's The Texas Chainsaw Massacre to 4K Ultra HD with a brand new upcoming release. Uh, it's coming next year. We don't know exactly when. 
Um, interesting. I'm I'm very much I so I, you know I love 4K releases. I love blue, not just Blu-rays, of course, but steel books, all that stuff. You know, I'm a bit of a, a little bit of a collector to that regard. I don't have the money to be a crazy collector. You know, I'm very modest. Uh, you know, there'll be some months where I go on a bit of a splurge of special editions or whatever, or you know, but I never go too crazy unless it's something I really, really am invested in. Um, oh, Matt Wyatt's in the chat. Hey, Matt, how's it going? Welcome to the show. Um, but I, I mean, so for example, I've got the 4K of Halloween. So obviously, that's a film released similar sort of time. I think four years later, uh, four years after Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, to be honest, it's a tough one. Some films on 4K transfer. Or, you know, if it's been a fresh transfer from the negatives, some classic films do look incredible. Whether it's going from DVD, you know, VHS, whatever, to, to, to Blu-ray, can look incredible. And some, sorry, some films, when they go on to 4K, also look mind-blowing and incredible. But then you get some blockbuster films where you could watch it on TV on HD and watch it on 4K Blu-ray and really not notice much difference. Uh, so I do think sometimes 4K doesn't isn't necessarily, and it could be maybe you need to tw tweak your settings again per film. I don't know, but I kind of like the griminess of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So for me, I'd probably want to see like what does this 4K Ultra HD release look like? Would it basically take away? Would it add a bit too much sheen? Maybe I don't know. Tough one. Um. Suspiria and Profondo Rosso in 4K are sublime, Matt White says. Yeah, that's a fair point. I've got the... Um, I've got Suspiria on... It's, it's a Blu-ray, but it's a four, 2K Blu-ray. It's a 4K transfer on, on Blu-ray. That's a funny sort of limited platinum release or something like that. That does look incredible. And uh, yeah, I've got Deep Red on 4K and Tenabre on, on 4K. I've still not got around to watching Tenabre, the 4K version yet, but... Uh, Deep Red does look incredible. So yeah, like I say, some films do look insane when they are brought to a 4K resolution. Texas Chainsaw, not too sure, just because, like I say, my, my 4K transfer of Halloween looks nice and everything, but it's not... I could probably put on my Steelbook Blu-ray release from two years prior and think, do I notice a massive difference between the two? Not really. Um. So, moving on get through to the reviews shortly we got some friday the 13th news there is a tv series a prequel series uh which was announced i think a day or so ago but there's some further news because one of the sticking points or one of the kind of queries has been okay this is a prequel series set on camp crystal lake can jason Voorhees appear in the peacock series so oh. While we're talking about Friday the 13th, give me an excuse to have a vape. <laughs> Halloween brought along with it the huge news that Peacock, uh, Brian Fuller from Hannibal, and A24 are hard at work on Crystal Lake, the streaming series that will serve as an expanded prequel to the Friday the 13th franchise. The announcement comes in the wake of several years' worth of legal troubles for the franchise, but where exactly do things stand at this time? So if I haven't mentioned, this is blood disgusting, so these aren't my words. And more importantly, which elements from the Friday the 13th franchise can be used in Crystal Lake? We've got an exciting update on all things Friday the 13th for you today. 
To recap the franchise's legal issues, Sean Cunningham, the original movie's director, and Victor Miller, the original movie's writer, have been fighting over who gets control of what. It was back in 2018 that Judge ruled Victor Miller owns the rights to the original Friday the 13th screenplay in the United States, a decision Cunningham has failed to overturn the years that have followed. Cunningham, however, owned the character of adult Jason Voorhees, introduced in later sequels, which is why the franchise has long been at a legal standstill. But Variety added an interesting wrinkle to their Crystal Lake story late last night, noting that Rob um, Barsamian and Victor Miller are executive producers in the Peacock series. Barassian is the man behind the company, Horror Inc., the rights holders of the Friday the 13th elements that Victor Miller doesn't own, the rights we assumed only Cunningham had control of. According to Variety's aforementioned update, this means that the Crystal Lake series now has access to all of the other elements from the films, suggesting that the combined forces of Victor Miller and Rob Barsamian will allow the Peacock series to use anything it wants to. That includes locations and characters, notably adult Jason Voorhees and his hockey mask. Uh, this updated information has been corroborated by both disgusting sources as of this writing and also touched upon by Friday the 13th Part 3 star and entertainment lawyer Larry Zerner, who has long been uh, by disgusting's main source of intel on the franchise's messy legal troubles. Ooh, boy, howdy. So, this is what I don't get. So it's a prequel series, but they've now got the rights... Uh, seemingly to include adult jason in his mask but it's a prequel series i'm guessing we're going to have some timeline overlaps of looking in the future looking back at the past or whatever um what we've got on the on the chat so bruce todd said sir some work of the 2k uh scan of ringu is absolutely fantastic mine uh matt wyatt um hdr true 4k versions of both are available they're incredible my name is not Earl uh, Crystal Lake. Um, erratic Agent, I feel like it's going to be a backstory about how the lake is cursed. Baby Ice, what's there to say about what happened before the first Friday? Was his mother kill killing teens before the first one? Uh, my name is not Earl Friday the 13th series again. <laughs> Bruce told the lake was built on an ancient Indian burial ground. Uh, is that true or is that just a typical, <laughs> a typical thing? We need a backstory set on an ancient Indian burial ground. Uh, Fran the Can, if Fuller's involved, I'll reserve judgment as he's done some great TV work. Hannibal was great, and even Pushing Daisies had some twisted elements. I never saw Pushing Daisies, but I loved Hannibal. I thought it was excellent. It was, uh, uh, how you say, très bon. Uh, let's move on. Now we've got some news that I know uh, Lawrence will be pleased to hear. He probably is aware of this already, I'd imagine. Ghostbusters VR game titled Ghostbusters Rise of the Ghost Lord is arriving in 2023. So, again, this is now from Mike Wilson, blooddiscussing.com. Remember that Ghostbusters VR game that was being developed for the PlayStation VR 2? Not only does it now have a name, but also has a release date. First revealed back in April, Ghostbusters Rise of the Ghost Lord will be coming to MetaQuest 2 and PlayStation VR 2 in 2023. Developed by VR developer and publisher Endreams and published by Sony Pictures Visual Reality, Rise of the Ghost Lord will see players step into the boiler suits of a new cast of characters at the start of their journey running their own ghost-busting headquarters out of San Francisco. Legendary locations in the city, such as the Golden Gate Bridge, will be brought to life across an extensive and engrossing campaign where players can go solo or team up with their three friends in co-op to stop the powerful Ghost Lord and his band of malevolent ghosts from causing chaos throughout the city. Uh, with the ability to wield and upgrade iconic Ghostbusters equipment and customise elements of their characters' looks, 
look uh ghostbusters rise of the ghost lord lets players truly live the life of a ghostbuster with all the fun and frights that come with it um yeah i don't like vr <laughs> um i mean cool sounds interesting sounds interesting um but yeah vr ain't my thing i had an oculus um quest 2 for a little while i think i just ended up going on um roller coaster like you're in a roller coaster sort of video and i felt sick <laughs> so i haven't really used it i ended up selling it actually pretty promptly um gaming wise as well i tried like this first person shooter one like onward or something it was called and i spent about 10 minutes trying to reload my gun because you were literally like look down grab the pack from your chest reload it and it just wasn't doing it and i just thought this is not fun like I, i'm struggling to find a game that interests me at the moment although i did play about an hour's worth of elden ring earlier on gone back to basics i took down a massive dragon just on horseback and it took me out three attempts but i thought no stick with it let's go further south south seems to be a slightly easier area focus on leveling up don't i think i've maybe got to a point where i was in a area that was a, a lot higher level than i was and i kind of cheesed it through to that area and got to this boss which was just murking me every time and i thought i've done a few bosses on this i've been I've done, I've done well but i have essentially run through to those boss locations and because a lot of the areas in especially in these castles not to go off on too much of a tangent about Elden ring a lot of these areas are just stacked with enemies where it's like if i'm taking on more than one of these at once i will get killed so what's the point um but no i've gone further south and i thought let's just farm let's just spend a bit of time killing things that i can kill and leveling up i haven't given up on elden ring yet is essentially the motto i think i was listening to the ign podcast and they did a special on elden ring and i thought some good tips on that anyway last bit of news i'll put the link uh i haven't put any of these links in the chat but uh, this, this one don't bother with either um uh, a quiet place day one Lupita Nyong'o joins the franchise. Come from John Squires, but discussing.com. The next installment in Paramount's hit horror franchise is A Quiet Place Day One. Deadline reports today that uh, Lupita Nyong'o from Jordan Peele's Us has been set to star. Fresh off last year's Nicolas Cage starring Pig, which I've got downloaded, I've just not got around to watching. It's on my Skybox um from a spark sky cinema i've just never got around to watching it an excellent revenge drama that bucks expectations at every turn michael sonoski is headed to a quiet place for the third installment in the franchise said to be a spin-off movie that sonoski will be directing last we heard a quiet place day one will be unleashed in theaters on march 8th 2024 the upcoming spin-off is based on the original idea by john krasinski deadline reports the hope is this film would help set up a potential quiet place universe that the studio can build on for years to come. It is also known that, while not out of the question, Emily Blunt and Krasinski likely will not reprise their roles in this instalment. John Krasinski will produce alongside Michael Bay, Andrew Form and Brad Fuller. Meanwhile, it's expected that the Abbott family storyline will eventually become a trilogy, with Krasinski recently teasing that he has ideas for the third film in the main series. Um, hmm... I I internally groan these days when I see potential universe setting up a new universe because I just think do you, like, do you know what I recently watched a um Komodo and Mayo 
review. So if people don't know, Simon Mayo, Mark Commode. I mean, Mark Commode was a lot of my introduction to horror when I was growing up. He used to do these specials, Channel 4 and BBC2, for the introduction of classic horror films. So he was quite pivotal in my horror education. And he does a lot of reviews. He's a reviewer, uh, a journalist, you could say. And him and Simon Mayo, who are radio hosts, I don't know if this is from a radio show or if it's just a web series they do, but uh, I saw he had a review of Halloween Ends, and I watched it, and it echoed a number of sentiments that I'd kind of had. But he talked about David Gordon Green going on to direct this Exorcist trilogy. And I've talked before on the show. And again, it's quite nice when it you hear a professional have similar opinions to what you have, which is the guy, not, not necessarily struck gold, but did really well with uh, a fresh original sequel. But then it's been expanded to we have this idea for a trilogy so then you know you've got these middling sequels and he's announced that he's going to be doing a trilogy of sequels reboot reboot sequels for the exorcist which is obviously similar to halloween although we've had a lot of sequels over the years we've had a lot of we've had some sequels to the exorcist and they've generally except for the third one been very poor really um so it's one of those things where you think of the excess you think really of the first film more often than not as opposed to the excess franchise even still he's not just announcing that he's going to be doing a new film he's announced a trilogy why wouldn't you just do a new film with a focus on the film and doing a good film as opposed to we got three films worth of story have you though have you actually got three full-length feature films worth of story? Because you watch Halloween 2018 through to Halloween ends, and you think, well, I highly doubt that this was one story written over spread out. It very much feels like we had one film, and we, had, we wanted to do sequels, and then we wrote them as we got to them. It's kind of how it felt for me, personally. Um... So when I see, just not to go off too much of a tangent, A Quiet Place Universe, I think, I like the first film. Unique idea. Very high tension. Watching it in the cinema was great. Up to that point when I'd been going to the cinema, I'd always had cinemas with absolute dickheads in there. People on their phones, talking, having conversations throughout the entire film, and it would just boil my piss. Um, but this was one of those films where... People were too scared or too tense to even rustle their popcorn or even get a drink because there's the moments of pure silence. Um, and I, yeah, the first one is great. The second one I saw in the cinema. I haven't watched it since. I thought it was fine. I I just felt that it ended fairly abruptly. It felt like we'd got to the ending. Not that the film was short, but I don't know. It just it felt like we hadn't built enough to the finale, I guess. I don't know. It was an odd one. I thought A Quiet Place 2 was fine, but I wasn't blown away by it. It certainly didn't leave me in a position going, oh, I can't wait to see a third one. You know, I, I like I, I like a franchise, but at the same point, sometimes a film can just be a self-contained film. And if you're going to expand on it, there's got to be something to expand with. They sort of did with some of the ideas in the sequel in terms of meeting some of the people who had kind of become deranged in the time since. You get a brief glimpse of them. Um, and seeing this island where people kind of living in in peace and able to talk, but then what happens when a monster gets across there? So it had ideas, but it just I I know I didn't think Quiet Place Two was a bad film. It just didn't win me over to the point where I thought this was excellent. This was up there with the first one. Certainly not. Certainly not in my opinion. 
Uh, let's have a look what the chat are saying. Um, my name's not Earl. Oh, Bruce Todd first. A quiet place, big mare energy. My name's not Earl. That's right. They're doing another quiet place. Didn't like the second. Fran the Can, Lupita was good in the zombie film Little Monsters 2. I'm aware of Little Monsters. I haven't watched it. Um, Erratic Agent, do we really need all the trilogies? Did Star Wars teach us nothing? Well, exactly. Exactly. Um, not everything has to be a trilogy. As most people know, more often than not, what trilogy is excellent throughout? I'd maybe say Lord of the Rings, but I'm one of those controversial people. I don't really care for Two Towers. I know it's a lot of people's favourites. A lot of it for me was just trees talking. And that's both versions. I love Return of the King and Fellowship of the Ring just holds a special place. Uh, Two Towers. Fine. I know it's a lot of people's favourites. But anyway, what I'm trying to say is there's not a lot of uh, franchises or series where every instalment is great, if not all really good. Um, although the original Star Wars trilogy, I've never really been the Star Wars boy. The original, you know, episode four, five, and six, they are they are good. But I didn't grow up with them, so they don't really hold a special place in my heart. Fran the Cannon, first A Quiet Place was enjoyable enough. Never felt I needed to see more from that world than the brief flashback in the second. Yeah, the flashback segment was pretty good. Um, it did feel like a bit of an excuse to get John Krasinski back in there. But he did it. I mean, obviously, he's the director and writer. And he did a great job in the first film. But yeah, the flashback was pretty good. Just seeing the moment where it was kicking off. Uh, Bruce Todd, Exorcist 23 in the hood. I can't wait. Uh, my name is Noel. Quiet place in The Purge doing the same thing. Make a few moves and go back to the beginning. Yep, sounds about right. Erratic Agent. Well, maybe COVID took its toll on Halloween ends. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, maybe. Maybe uh, maybe Michael Myers had uh, long COVID. <laughs> I've seen some people saying about, oh, but he took so much damage and kills, that's why he was all weak and feeble. He took a lot of damage and kills, and then he killed a whole bunch of people after that damage. I, d I don't know. I people like, like it, that's cool. I didn't like it. I'm not going to crap on people who enjoy it. But it's like anything. You see online, there's this discourse of well, if you didn't like it, you just didn't understand it. It just wasn't enough Michael Myers for you, blah, 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 blah. It's not a case there wasn't enough Michael Myers. I didn't mind the fact that he wasn't in it other than 10 minutes. He wasn't in the first film for a lot of 10 minutes. His presence was felt in the first film. This had what felt like a tacked-on ending with him looking weak and feeble. The Corey storyline, didn't hate the Corey storyline necessarily, but this occurred over the course of, what, one day, two days? Alison meets a guy and is ready to run away with him. A guy that even tells her... I killed someone yesterday. And she's like, oh. <laughs> There's just so many leaps of logic in that film. But I digress. I digress. Baby us. I would have fired him in 2018 if I read the ending for Halloween Ends back then. Boo Haddonfield. Uh, Fran, even if you do have three, keep shush about it. What's going to get audiences more buzz? Knowing in advance or being surprised by the ending of the first when they're watching it? Very interesting point, Fran. I loved Halloween 2018. Of course. We always knew that there's probably going to be a sequel. It was very successful. But when they announced there was going to be two films, I that instantly lowered my hype. Because I thought, well, the second film is going to feel non-essential then. Even though, yeah, you could say with the slasher, oh, we're always going to get a sequel. It makes money. You're always going to get a sequel. But when they announced ahead that we've got two films, we've got two films coming out, Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends, I couldn't help just thinking, oh, that's 
that just makes the second film itself already feel inconsequential. And if anything, I don't. If anything, I now feel like I probably prefer Kills to End. And I've not watched Kills for a while, and I remember being very deflated by Kills. Um, Erratic Agent. I sneezed in the middle of a quiet place in the theatre, and everyone screamed. <laughs> Baby, I just love John Wick three and Expendables movies. I like Expendables one and two. I, I, th- I thought the third film was a bit nothing for me. Matt White. Friday next Friday and Friday after next. Talking about the Friday films now. My name is not L. Scream trilogy worked for me. Then they made four. I watched Scream three recently for the first time in a very long time. Other than the killer, it's 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 an all right slasher. It's fine. The fourth one I just found not memorable. I, I've watched it a couple of times and I've always just been like, there's good kills in it, but I just I just find it quite forgettable to be honest. I, I thought the new Scream was all right. The reasoning for the killers was always a bit like, all right, okay. It makes sense for the Scream films, I guess, but um, it's always a bit like, ah, I've got away from it. You know, this is my master plan. Ma, 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 ma. Um, <laughs> Bruce Todd, but Loomis shot him six times. It's a fair point. Halloween ends. It's only a movie. It's only a movie. It's only a movie. My name is not says. Yes, 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 yes. Right. <laughs> we can now get to the reviews. Fucking hell, it's already been an hour. We've not done the reviews yet. We are going to, we are going to finish at 10 or an hour's time from now <laughs> i can't keep doing like two and a half hour three hour shows and me just rambling on uh but first up in the reviews i watched this week alongside 31 specific horror films for specific days um i watched barbarian so franikans just said uh none of these series third films had evil toby Maguire dancing so pale in comparison when he's dancing in the club, bear in mind that this is a club which is basically a pub where you also play pool. It's like a jack of all trades type place. So it can't be that clean. And he's just there gyrating on the floor, not giving a shit. The other thing as well, they made a big deal before Halloween Ends came out uh, about, oh, we've got, uh, I can't remember her name, Kyle, the the girl, the woman that plays Lindsay Wallace. She's back, she's signed on, excellent, she's signed on for the film. Probably should have been a warning sign then that the film's only a few months away from release, so her scenes must have been tacked on. And it did feel like that, like Lindsay Wallace, who was a huge return in Halloween Kills, you know, being in the very original film, so it's a cool legacy character. She had a cool moment in Kills, like her her escape and attack, that was good. That was one of the sort of highlights, really, of Kills. And in this, she's a tarot reader at a bar and that's no disrespect to tarot readers but in her terms of her character's arc it's just like did we just have to think of something for her to be doing to get her in to a couple of small scenes i don't know i don't know not necessarily saying she had to die or get killed by michael but just anyway anyway i'm not going on about halloween kills um so (laughs) <laughs> erratic agent yeah in regards to the scream killer reveals i wouldn't have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for you meddling kids um so barbarian this is going to be an awkward review because i do very much agree with the hype of just watch it without knowing anything about it um so i'd heard the buzz about this film on twitter a couple of months back and I didn't watch a trailer for it or anything, but I just heard a lot of buzz about this film. A lot of, like, intrigue. Uh, so I watched it late last week. Yeah. Uh, it's a 2022 American horror film written and directed by Zach Cregan in his, Zola, in his solo 
directorial debut. It's produced by Arnold Milchan, Roy Lee, Raphael Magus, uh, and J.D. Lifshitz. That's his name. The film stars Georgina Campbell, Bill Skarsgård, and Justin Long. The story sees a young woman who finds out the rental house she reserved has been accidentally double booked with a man while not knowing of a dark secret within the home. Um, oh man, what can I say without, uh, <laughs> mm, yeah, Tez, 2022, that should be on the poster. Hmm. Yeah. What can I say about this without going into spoiler territory? Oh man, <laughs> this is tough. This is tough. So, okay, well, I'll talk about the opening of the film. This really is a film that's in uh, three acts so it's a very sort of a, a typical film in that regard but it's it's done very well uh Lifshitz is his last name baby yes that's correct jd Lifshitz. l-i-f-s-h-i-t-z yep my name is not earl barbarian is a perfect movie by far my favorite movie of the year it's good praise there Good praise. So yeah, coming into town for a job interview, Tess Marshall books a remote house in the run-down Detroit neighbourhood of Brightmoor. Tess finds it has been double-booked when she arrives to the house and finds it's already occupied by a young man named Keith. Initially unnerved by Keith, Tess warms up to him and decides to stay the night. Um, oh man, so I really don't want to say too much more about this film because... For the first half hour, 40 minutes, you will be thinking, where's this going? Is this a bit too slow burn? Maybe? You don't, you don't necessarily know what location it is that she's staying at, because when she arrives, it's pouring down rain and it's night time, and you only see the house that she's looking at. When she awakes the following day, you do see the neighbourhood's incredibly run down, except for this one house, which is quite nicely kept, looks fairly modern on the inside. And she, because she's booked through one site, and the current occupier, who is uh, Bill Skarsgård, booked through another site, so it's uh, seemingly a genuine double booking. Now, you may think from this, oh, okay, all right, I can see where this is going. See, I, see, I see what the story is here. I don't think you do. I certainly didn't. Um, this certainly does take us down a route of horror, of shocks, one of the first sort of moments of shocks is really one of those moments that took me by surprise. It happened in the space of about 20 seconds, but I was just there looking at my TV like this. Audio listens, I've just basically sat with my mouth, with my mouth agape. Um, because it just, it, it just uh, took me by surprise completely, completely. Um, but then from there, the story switches to another character, Justin Long's character. And I, I won't go into him because of how his connections are in, in regards to this. There's a lot of intrigue with this film. Uh, Fran the Cannon. Uh, Fran the Cannon being thirsty in the chat, I think, saying you couldn't be too disappointed being double booked with Skarsgård. Oh, dear, Fran. <laughs> I can't pass comment with some of the uh, comments I make on there. Uh some of the scream queens but uh yeah all i would say is check this film out i know that this is probably the vaguest review but i do that's probably why i'm not such a good reviewer i do think there are certain films where it's best just to know as little as possible and go along for the ride um 
you will get these hype, and a lot of films don't necessarily live up to the hype. You'll get people going, oh, it's the scariest film ever, the scariest film of the, the year. Um, uh, m- maybe, maybe. It's, it's tough to think of what other films in 2022 have come out that I've thought, wow, that's really kind of held my attention for, you know, the entire duration. Maybe it's better than X. Um, I really enjoyed X. I would actually maybe say this is slightly better, just because with X, you kind of know what you're getting to a degree. You've got an idea. Um, it's very good. X was very good. Really enjoyed it. But you generally could start kind of seeing potentially where this is going. The only surprise that I initially had with X was some of the deaths. And also that Mia Goth was doing double duty. I didn't I didn't know that going into it. I've still not seen Pearl. I don't think we've had a release of Pearl yet in the UK. Um, I'll have to see... Is Pearl available yet to order? If it is, I'll I'll have to order it to go alongside. Oh shit! <laughs> to go alongside uh, X Pearl Blu-ray. I'll just says temporarily out of stock, right? So I don't think it's had a UK release yet. Fine. Um, but yeah, I need to watch. Need to watch Pearl. Um, I would just say give this a watch. To be honest. And just don't read up anything beforehand. I would definitely say don't read the plot going into it. Um, some people don't mind spoilers, and we'll, and we'll do that, and that's fine. But I just think for the experience, go in blind. What I did, and my score for Barbarian is eight point five out of ten. Uh, that was really good. I thought it was really good. Let's look at the let's look at the chat. Uh, King, the switching of characters back and forth was a little off to me. That's fair. We do we do switch around a fair bit. Settle down, France, as baby eyes. Uh, my name is not, Fran. If you want to be thirsty for Bill Skarsgård, that's cool. <laughs> you do you. Uh, but baby eyes, you can't tell anyone not to be thirsty. <laughs> some of the some of the mutual actors we're aware of. Uh, my name is not. Oh, good to see Justin Long without a stupid walrus costume. Yeah, I I I wasn't a fan of Tusk. I'll be honest. Bruce Todd, not seen Justin Long in anything in ages. Uh, Justin Long, is, it's good, good to see him in stuff like Dodgeball. There was even that weird sort of comedy drama thing that he was in with um, John, not some, someone, Kavanaugh, which is one of those things where a lawyer's gone back to his hometown to work in a uh, bowling alley. Uh, There's one of those shows which you'd occasionally get on UK TV in the daytime and be like, I'll put it on because it's on, but I'm not really paying attention to it. Can't remember what that was called. Anyway. Uh, Pearl was good, baby, I says. Uh, my name's Earl. I went to Barbarian without the hype. I heard the name Barbarian and avoided trailers. Baby, I said, I don't think it passes X, but it's deaf style of uh, film. It's pretty neat, a different style. My name's not Earl. It's a 10 for them. King, Pearl with an axe. And also King says, I enjoyed the Scarecrow makeout session. Scarecrow makeout session. Was that Halloween ends? Uh, or was that in Pearl? I've not seen Pearl yet. Oh no, is that a spoiler? I'm sure I'm sure that doesn't spoil too much for me if Pearl makes out the scarecrow. <laughs> uh so next up on our reviews, we move to We move to something a little bit different. I watched on Paramount Plus today. I said initially saying I didn't watch any horror films today. I watched this. Uh, so technically I lied earlier on. I apologize. I apologize. I watched Significant Other. Which uh, I noticed a little a couple of weeks back was on Paramount Plus, uh, which I get free with Sky Movies here in the UK, um, and uh, I didn't really know 
anything about it. I then saw, I think it was on, must have been on Twitter, someone saying, oh, people are really sleeping on this film. You've got to check it out. Got to check it out. And I thought, okay, I noticed it's got Micah Monroe in it, who I just, I think is great. She was in It Follows. She was also recently in um, Watcher. Not The Watcher, not the Netflix show, but the um, thriller film Watcher, which is a Shudder exclusive, except not in the UK, because why would it be? Um, but it features her and Jake Lacey, um, directed by Dan Burke and Rob Olson. So Jake Lacey, you may not be able to see him too much in the in the poster there, because I've got the chat in the way. But um, it's unfortunate for this actor. Whenever I see him in anything, I can't help but just associate him as Glob. Glob or Blob, whatever his name was, in the last season of uh, the American Office or the Office, the US Office. Um, he is a good actor, but I've always felt his character was the new Jim, but just nowhere near as endearing. Um, but he was good in White Lotus, which was a TV series where he was the new husband of Alexandra Daddario. Um, we can get thirsty for Micah Monroe. We can certainly get thirsty for Alexandra Dardario. That's why I say, Fran, get as thirsty as you want. Um, no judgment here. Um, but yeah, I can't. Whenever I see him in something, I always think, oh, that guy from the last season of The American Office. And The American Office, even the last series was good. But the first few episodes where you've got uh, got him in it and focusing on his relationship with Aaron, I was always just like, I have literally no. No interest in what happens with this character. Oh, yeah, White Lotus, baby. I see in the chat. Uh, new series just started. Episode one, I think I've got downloaded on, on Sky or Cable here in the UK. Uh, yeah, the first series was really good. I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. Not just because we've got Alexandra Dardario in it. And, um, oh, she was in the first series and she was in The Watcher. Stifler's mum. Can't remember her name, but always like it when she's in something. Uh, Bruce told in the chat, Paramount has that new Adrian Brody show, Chapel White, looks interesting. Yes, I've got that on my watch list, uh, Bruce Todd. I remember we talked about it on the news probably about two months back now, but Chapel White, I think, is loosely based on Jerusalem's Lot, which is the short story prequel to Salem's Lot. Um, baby, I shouldn't for Coolidge years. <laughs> yeah, Chapel White, I do want to watch. At some point, I think I'm going to have to do a good catch-up on, re on TV reviews, uh, for sure, for sure. Um, but yeah, September 2021, Paramount Players won a bidding war for the film, with Monroe and Lacey already attached to star and Burke and Olsen to direct. The film was released on the streaming service Paramount Plus on October 7th. Um, I was kind of surprised that this didn't have a cinema release, to be honest. Kind of surprised by that, just because it does feel like there's some money in this film. So it's a fairly small cast. It's mainly focused on Michael Monroe and Jake Lacey. They, uh, the film opens with a red object falling from the sky onto the ground. And we see a very close-up of a deer that gets grabbed by some dark tentacle. Now, when I saw that, initially I was thinking, oh, God, it's going to be one of those alien films where the alien is just this anamorphic blob or just grey or black, slimy. You know, your typical alien that's not a xenomorph or not a grey. Modern aliens, like with Cloverfield. I thought Cloverfield, the first film, was great, but the actual look of the alien was just this kind of nondescript grey quad-moving thing. I don't know. There's not many things that I've seen with an alien in where I thought, that's a unique design. That's not a xenomorph, you know? <laughs> just the, the chatter enjoying uh, Jennifer Coolidge. Um, 
We then move to Ruth and Harry, an unmarried couple in a six-year relationship who agree to pursue Harry's interest in camping together in the woods. Um, so for a good chunk of this film, it's only 84 minutes. Sorry for audio listeners to keep knocking my microphone. Um, it's seeming like a love drama, a drama film. Um, and we get this moment where it appears as though something may have influenced Micah Monroe's character. Um, and then there's a quite a shocking moment with a uh, marriage proposal that doesn't go well. Before we're then led completely to the, have the whole story flipped on its head as to this alien life form and what its intenses are. We see some pretty gnarly kills. Um, I would say the closest thing you could think of to it would be, you know, the moments in T2 where the T1000 or the T, the liquid, liquid nitrogen terminator, there's a moment where it sticks its finger out to a long point. Kind of like a mixture of that mixed with like, is it Lady Deathstroke? But like a hardcore version of that, where this this creature imitating a human can extend its fingers, can extend out of its point this razor sharp blade that it uses to slice people through the center, like slice through their through their head, and their head flops open. So there's these moments of gore that appear kind of seemingly out of nowhere that are fairly shocking. But it is quite an interesting story because it's you you understand what this alien is or what this alien's purpose is um and it's quite a unique take on the alien assimilation and what characteristics they would assimilate from the human that they have taken over also what is entailed in doing that process so it's uh, lady deathstrike around the counter says if you're talking x-men yeah kind of similar sort of thing um it's it's quite an interesting film actually i think it's it's definitely worth one worth watching, and I would say stick with it because it doesn't necessarily get boring. This is an eighty-four minute film; it's fairly lean. Um, but you do, because of it being focused significantly, significantly, uh, predominantly on two characters, and it is their relationship you're 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 looking through and analysing, and also getting a bit of a glimpse into Micah Monroe's character and her backstory, um, which does feature quite prominently later on in the film. You will probably spend a fair chunk of the first half of the film sort of thinking, well, what's going on here? Like, wh where are we going to from here? Um, before this, this shocking moment, which is then turned on its head a bit later on. Uh, like I say, it's on Paramount Plus now. Um, if you haven't got Paramount Plus, I think they do like 30-day free trial. Um, and I don't think it's too much. It's, it's 6 99 maybe. Fortunately, I do get it free with Sky. Um, so with Sky Movies, so it doesn't cost me any more. But I think this is worth your time. I thought it was pretty good, and Micah Monroe is just excellent. And yeah, Jake Lacey, like I said, I do always associate him when I first see him in something as, oh, the the crap Jim from uh, the last series of The Office. Uh, but you know, he's a good actor. They they do work quite well together. Um, hey, Larkis. Larkis is in the chat. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Franican, I always thought the alien in Life was good. The film itself was average, but I thought the way the creature adapted was cool. Yeah, Life life was decent. I thought the finale of Life was really good, actually. Uh, I do need to give that a rewatch at some point. I think it is on Netflix currently. Um, but that is, yeah, 7 out of 10 for Significant Other, which then moves us on to our last film for reviews, which will take us into the next segment shortly.
And that is Terrifier 2. I have watched Terrifier 2. I'll talk about the other films that this is related to a bit later on, because that will form up kind of, I guess, the main portion of the show. But uh, Terrifier 2, 2022 American splatter slasher film, written, directed, edited, and produced by Damien Leone. It's a sequel to Terrifier from 2016, and it's the third feature-length film to feature Art the Clown. It features the return of David Howard Thornton and Sarah Scafidi, who respectively portrayed Art the Clown and Victoria Hayes in the first film, and stars Laura Levera, Elliot Fulham, Sarah Voigt, Kaylee Hyman, and Casey Harnett. The story follows Art's resurrection and pursuit of Sienna Shaw, uh, played by Levera, and her younger brother, Jonathan, played by Fulham, on Halloween night, a year after the events of the first film. Uh, the film originates from a feature film concept. Leona began developing shortly after filming his directorial debut short film, The Ninth Circle. The concept of the planned film focused heavily on an angel-dressed heroine and ultimately fell apart, but after the release of Terrifier, Leona wanted to bring the heroine back as the protagonist. She would evolve into Sienna, someone Leona describes as the heart and soul of Terrifier 2. Leona spent three months writing a character-driven screenplay following criticism of the first film's perceived lack of narrative. Uh, funding for the film was exacting as the script was more ambitious than the first film required a bigger budget. Leon secured finances from private investors before filming and he launched an Indiegogo campaign with a 50k goal to film a practical effects driven scene. The campaign was a massive success reaching over 430% of the initial goal with a total of 250k in donations. Uh, it was one of numerous films impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic with principal photography coming to a halt mid-2020 due to the lockdowns. Um, so, what can we say about Terrifier 2? Let's have a quick look at the chat before we continue. So, Fran the Can, yeah, Lady Deathstrike, um, Larkis, watch the sci-fi Deborah film. Not sure, not, not, not aware of that. Bruce Todd, Lady Deathstrike sounds like it would be a 70s Japanese revenge film with a great soundtrack. Uh, Kaizen, hey, Kaizen's back, how's it going? This movie was awesome. Bruce Todd, Terrifier 2, Pure Kino, fun gore slasher, bringing back the wild west of gory horror 80s style. Baby Ice, we're getting Terrifier 3. Um, and Larkis Art is a new horror icon. So, I've said before that um, I'd seen All Hallows' Eve and Terrifier 1, and I had the juxtaposition's the right word. I had the mixed feelings of Art the Clown being such a unique-looking horror villain. Something that the horror franchise, the horror franchise, the, the horror medium, it's kind of needed for a while. We sort of had it to a degree with Victor Crowley in the Hatchet films. And to be honest, I think I've maybe been a bit too dismissive of them. The first film, I've seen a couple of times. It's all right, it's not really my bag. But I uh, watched Hatchet 4. Uh, recently on my Twitch channel, and I've had a good time with that. I, I like the humour in it. It really, I thought it had a good balance of humour, gore, and and kills. Um, with some good characters in it as well, and I do think that you uh you need a good balance of uh you you need a good balance of characters. For me, what I didn't really like about Terrifier more so than All Hallows Eve. All Hallows Eve is a is an anthology. Anthologies are always a mixed bag. Um, with with Terrifier, the problem that I had with it is after we got through 
the the first character who I was initially thinking was the main character, the really hot girl, uh, woman, lady, actress who had the um skeleton uh, dress on. After she got bisected, <laughs> it then kind of the feeling that I had with that film was this isn't really my sort of horror. I don't. I, I like gore and horrors. You know, I I like for me, I like a good bit of tension scares but i like characters in it as well like for me it doesn't make much difference if we've got a film with obnoxious teens and no protagonists really if it's just an excuse to kill people um i get that's very popular with with some horror fans it's not really for me like i always found with a lot of the friday the 13th films you know i like friday the 13th it's not my franchise that a lot of the times there isn't really a strong protagonist in them some of them do some of them do let's be let's just be clear but um more often than not it's cannon fodder for the killer to kill in new inventive ways if you like that that's cool cool for you not really my sort of thing so terrifier one i couldn't really get down with because it was like this new design for a killer clown is awesome but and we i don't mind that we don't know anything about his backstory i do think going into a third film especially with what occurs in this film and the ending of the first film i kind of feel by the third film we do need to maybe at that point know a bit more about who he is where he's come from maybe um but i felt with the first film we just we didn't really get anything to in, in terms of characters we didn't really get anyone to root for any any real narrative in my opinion um with this film pleasantly surprised okay i will start off by saying it's 138 minutes it is a long film and i will i'm not just saying oh horror shouldn't be more than two hours long if the story works for it, the story works for it you could shave about 20 minutes off this film and it still be a good slasher film okay i'd i'd be surprised if anyone says or anyone felt that the whole film length was kind of justified. Um, I, I just think that you could probably take a bit, a bit of it and without it impacting the film. But after being resurrected by an unknown entity following the Miles County Massacre, Arthur Clown brutally murders the coroner investigating his body with a hammer. He goes onto a laundromat to clean his, clean his blood-soaked garments where he encounters the little pale girl, a mysterious sinister entity in a similar clown attire. Um, a lone patron seems to interact with the girl who is invisible to him before being killed. So, I'll kind of just talk about the main characters briefly, really. We've got uh, Lauren Levera playing Sienna Shaw, and we've got uh, Elliot Fulham as Jonathan Shaw. Now, Elliot Fulham, I'm pretty sure I recognise him. I think he was this kid that did punk or band interviews. And he had like his own YouTube channel, I believe, where he would go around as the punk kid or something. He had like a mohawk interviewing musicians. Um, quite entertaining because he's a young kid um, and he knew his music. I'm pretty sure that's him. Um, he is maybe a bit of a down point for this just because he's not that, his acting isn't that good. Um, he is featured quite prominently in the film. He's not like the, the main, main sort of focal point, but um, he has some moments of good elements of acting in peril i think he does that quite well i will say but there's other moments where it's like um i, I probably should preface a fair chunk of the acting isn't that great in this outside of outside of lauren lavera and of course um art the clown um jonathan whatever his name is 
um, hasn't got his name here. David Howard Thornton. There's a fair number of characters that acting isn't so great. I will just say we do get Chris Jericho in a, in a cameo in the in the final credit scene, which uh, his name is featured at the very start of the film, and I was thinking, have I missed him in this? But no, he does he does appear right near the end. Um, so we'll talk about the good, the bad, and then my score. And this will lead us into the, the the main portion of the show. I will say I haven't set any homework for the show. I did kind of put this all together fairly last minute in terms of the pictures and, and such. And I just thought I can't nothing is really this week sticking out to me to set for homework. Um if anyone has any suggestions, um, either for a theme or something to to make me think of something to give you guys for homework, sure. But I, I, I haven't set we obviously didn't have any homework last week. Last week was the uh, Halloween horror off. Um but um, yeah, nothing's kind of sprung to mind for homework for this week. Uh, my name is Noel. In the chat, yeah, I will agree with you about the acting. The mum is all over the place. Yeah, sometimes it seems like she's a nice mum, and other times she just really goes off the rails at her son. It's implied that um, prior to the film, or not implied, but prior to the film, um, the mother's husband and the father of the kids um, has died. I think maybe committing suicide. He was an artist, a lot of these sketches. I don't know if he was a character in the first film. Doesn't I don't, Not that I'm aware of. I don't think these characters are connected to the first film, as far as I'm aware. Um, <laughs> some funny things going on in the live chat. But what I'll say with the positives. The positive is Lauren Levera, Sienna Shaw. Um... She is great in this film. Um not not just, you know, she's uh she's a cool looking scream queen, a new scream queen. But her acting is good. She has a good arc in this as this uh quite artistic um this is what was confusing. She's she seems like maybe a, a teenager, but then there's some scenes which we thought sort of thinking not sure if that's appropriate if she's meant to be a teen. I don't know. It's very vague about about if she was at like college or if she was post grad or I don't know, but she makes cosplays and she very much her uh, her father's sketches had influenced her to do this kind of like angel warrior kind of cosplay gimmick. Um, she is a cool protagonist. The kills in this film are insane. The, a lot of the, a lot of the hype around this film has been you know reports of there being ambulances outside the cinema, people vomiting, people fainting. And you hear those things and you think, oh, it must be bullshit. It must just be things being said to, you know, like, build up hype. That could be true, but at the same point... Um, oh, yeah, Bruce told in the chat, the actress for Sienna is way older than she looks. Yeah, apparently she's 44. That's fucking insane. Um, if that's right, then she has looked after herself. <laughs> um my name is not the woman with the disfigured face is the only callback to the first i believe yeah there's a moment at the part way in the film and then at the end featuring uh the woman who's i think she's her face got eaten or something i can't remember i i really at some point i will rewatch the first film but it it didn't leave a big impression on me personally um the first one so the other positives sienna shaw excellent um art the clown I mean, he, his mixture of humour, mime artistry, 
and insane violence has to be commended, or the portrayal has to be commended. He looks great. The moment when he goes to the laundromat because he's covered in blood from the end of the first film, and he's basically just sat there in his pants um, while his stuff's in the washing in the, in the tumble dryer. It's, it's just funny. The, the, the elements of humour are great, but what I was kind of saying before, the uh, the deaths, um, with the 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 hype about you know people throwing up, people fainting. I can see that. I'm not necessarily saying that was all true. Maybe it was part of a media campaign to, you know, get... But, I mean, this this film's been talked about on The View or, like, the version of Good Morning America or whatever. I saw the, I saw the link on, on Twitter about it with Jerry O'Connell, who was in Stand By Me and Scream 2, saying that he can't wait to take his wife to watch it because they love horror films. Um, I can see it because this film has the kind of gore in it where if you're into Splatterhouse, um, almost basically like pornographic gore, violence, uh, Grindhouse ramped up to the nth degree, then yeah, you'll be fine watching this film. But if you've never really seen something truly gory in a film, if all you've maybe seen is stabbings, Maybe an eye gouge, because eye gouges have become a bit more common than they used to be, like the Beyond and Lucia Fulci films of the 80s used to be, or 70s, 80s, used to be fairly shocking for an eye gouge. They haven't really been that common until the last few years, where practical effects have been pretty kind of crazy. This, though, the moments in this film, if you are not desensitised to that kind of violence and gore, then it may well make you feel quite sick. I mean, I can't, I can't sugarcoat it any other way. Did it make me feel sick and queasy? No, but I've been watching horror of various degrees. I know the horror I like and I don't like, um, but you know, it's nothing too new to me. There were still some moments where I was just like, "Fucking hell, that is insane." Um, I mean, Bruce Todd saying the entire costume shop scene, practical effects are straight out of the video nasty era. Um, it's yeah, it, it is just crazy, and the the whole finale section with this these chase scenes and these fights I thought was excellent. The dream sequences involving like uh, Art the Clowns kind of kids show with Art Serial I thought they were great. Um, the moments of blending between what is dream and what is reality I guess worked to kind of heighten what exactly is Art the Clown, how supernatural is he. Was it supernatural entities that brought him back to life, but he was just a, a man, a human that's a murderer? I don't know. There's questions there, which I don't think is a bad thing. But we get these moments with the young girl, and the young girl does look incredibly creepy. But we never really find too much out about exactly what she is, because some characters can see her, some characters can't. She can interact and physically touch some characters or make them think that they're touching her as someone else but then other characters don't so there are moments that you can't think too you can't think too much about logic this is a splatterhouse horror film so sometimes i do have to remind myself don't question things too much don't kind of question where the logistics of where does the dream world start and end and why can certain people see things and others can't because at the end of the day this isn't highbrow and that's not a bad thing um, the creepy song, the new Shamrock song, My Name Is Not Earl, says, yeah, the food's a little funny. <laughs> um, 
yeah, so the, I, I have to admit, I didn't anticipate having a high opinion of this film because, like I say, Terrifier 1 wasn't for me. But, and I do think that my score could have been higher if it was a bit shorter. I think two hours tops, maybe even maybe even an hour 50. It is a bit overly long. It doesn't necessarily drag because the film is kind of fairly well paced and one of the kills almost felt like a homage to Maniac, the original Maniac, uh, with a particular kill in that. I'm sure Bruce Todd, uh, Matt Wyatt will at least know in the chat what I mean by that. Um, there are moments of genuine peril. There's a moment where um, Jonathan Shaw... The younger brother is being chased through the house or uh, before getting accosted by Art. That was generally quite creepy because you're sort of thinking, oh, fucking hell, how, how dark is this going to go? How dark is this going to go? Um, so I, was, I, was, I was surprised. I was surprised because, like I say, Art the, char the Art the character, I do think, looks great and is a great addition to horror, but the first film wasn't really for me and I didn't really remember much about All Hallows' Eve. But I give this a 7.5. It might uh, People I know who love it may think that's a bit low, but for me that's quite a high score because I didn't anticipate enjoying the film, personally. This is not my type of horror, usually. But I do think this is a huge step up uh, for me from Terrifier 1. Definitely. I, I think the, the comment Damien Learn had made about wanting to focus on a, uh, a character-driven screenplay because of the criticism of the first film... I. I agree with the criticism of the first film, in my opinion. And I think he has taken that on board. And sometimes you'll get people going, no, that's the film I wanted to make. For a director to sort of take on board fan feedback, I think is quite a cool thing. Sometimes you can't let fans dictate your artistic vision. That can sometimes happen in any medium. We see it, you know, in wrestling. Not not always the popular opinion is what works, and sometimes you have to follow the, you know, stay the course. Um, have faith in the artistic ability of, of those creators. Um, but I think it's cool. He, he listened to a, a, what I felt was a valid criticism, a criticism I also held of the first film, and enacted on it. So 7.5 is my score for Terrifier 2. Now, as I said, I haven't set any homework. I mean, Rawhead Rex is what uh, Baby Ice wants. Um, no, I'm certainly not watching it. <laughs> I don't like Rawhead Rex. Um, so in the chat, we've got, uh, King. I miss the old days before CGI. Um, the food's a little funny, Bruce Todd says. Yeah, the creepy song, the new Shamrock song, my name's not Earl. It's catchy, Bruce Todd says, but it will never replace the Silver Shamrock jingle. Um, it's a valid opinion. I love the length, but it's not for everyone. My name's not Earl is a perfect 10 for them. So that's fair. Perfect 10 for Earl. Um, let me know, also your reviews in the chat. So for homework next week, like I, said, I haven't set anything. Nothing has kind of uh, sprung to mind. Baby, I a plague on your houses. Um, I mean, I could set one of the films for homework that we're going to chat about, but it's it's so obscure. I don't know where people could find it without looking at illegal means. don't know. <laughs> Kaiser and the Clown Cafe song, yeah. I mean, the, I, I thought that was that was cool. The whole Clown Cafe massacre was was brilliant. Um, just an excellent film. Just, just not an excellent film, but you know, well, it was. It was good. It was a lot better than I was expecting. Anyway, I think it's time. 
That's normally the homework music, but we've not got homework. It's time for our featured presentation. So, oh, I had to get in my honks on the vape. I had to get in my honks on the vape. We're talking clowns in horror. I thought it was apropos, considering we've talked about uh, Terrifier 2. Um, and I wanted to talk about clowns and their representation in horror. Do we find clowns scary? So you know my name is Noel's put up a good point in, in the in the chat. I've not actually seen the original, but I know it's on Shudder or it is at the moment recently. Slumber Party Massacre eighty two for homework. Yeah, why not? Why not? My name is Noel. I've not seen the original. Uh, I've seen the remake, I thought it was alright, not that great. But I know the original is on Shudder, as is Slumber Party Massacre two. I think there's been a third one as well, but I don't know if that's on Shudder. But yeah, there you go, there's your homework. Slumber Party Massacre. Um, so with clowns we've recently had Art the Clown he's all over the place at the moment first appearing in uh, All Hallows Eve which I don't, I, I was very confused as if that was just one film because there's two different versions or two different All Hallows Eves on, uh, on Amazon Prime uh, All Hallows Eve and All Hallows Eve two i'm very confused i don't know which one i've seen as far as i know they're basically the same film but um and terrify oh well, i'm very confused terrify was a short film oh, right okay so all the clowns are featured in a number of things then i think that's the main sort of takeaway from this um initially featuring in all hallows eve which is a anthology where he appears in a wraparound segment as this uh creepy clown before then appearing as this uh, murderous, maybe satanic, demonic, who knows, clown in, in Terrifier, which then led, obviously, to the newest film, Terrifier 2. Now, without the clown, we have a lot of mystique with him. And I think that's one of the things that we have to consider when talking about clowns. The clown in the modern sense is it's just a man wearing makeup. Uh, a clown in a circus... That's their home. That's where they would seem ordinary. They're jokesters. They're pranksters. Uh, they're affable. They're all these things. But if you got a knock at your door at two in the morning and you opened it to find a clown stood there, I'd find that pretty much pant-wettingly terrifying, quite frankly. Whether they're smiling or grimacing, either or, I'd find that quite creepy. Um, and you kind of get that sense without the clown. You never see him at a circus. You see, I think, at the very start of Terrifier, him putting on his gloves and maybe applying his makeup or his mask, because it is like a prosthetic mask, I believe. Like the nose, the lips, you know, the, the cheekbones and such. But that's all that we really see of the man underneath it. We, we know that it is the phys physiology of a man similar to Michael Myers, he can apparently take a lot of damage. Um, but we don't know anything about this person's motives. We know nothing about who he is, where he comes from, um, 
his his backstory, what's his motive? Um, he seems to just basically want to cause panic and mutilation and murder to the utmost degree. Um, the original and two are on Prime as well, Fran the Can says. Is that in regards to All Hallows' Eve or in regards to Slumber Party Massacre? So I think that's potentially right for both of them, actually. I know Slumber Party Massacre, I believe, is on Prime. Um, but let me know in the chat. Um, but, oh, hello, um, Hassan Terra. How's it going? Had a good Halloween. Hope yours have been good, too. So, yeah, with, with art, we don't know, as Bruce Todd says, his motive. He just likes to have a blast art style. Um, and I think that's part of it, is that his, his approach, his scares, are that he is just an unstoppable, uh, eviscerating, murdering, killing machine, essentially. And he likes to have a laugh while doing it. And it's just his version of having a laugh is causing absolute bodily trauma, dismemberment, to the most kind of shocking degrees, really. Um, we've seen him, as mentioned, in All Hallows Eve 1 and 2, Terrifier, and then most recently Terrifier 2, which we have reviewed. Um, and as mentioned, I believe we have been green had greenlit a, a sequel. Uh, da, 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 da. Both Leon and Thornton have confirmed that a Terrifier 3 is planned, along with further installments that will slowly build on art's background and motives. In October 2022, Leon said he had an entire treatment for a third film that is getting so big that it could potentially split into a part four because he wouldn't want to make another two-hour-20 film. Which I think is cool. He's again seemingly listening to a critique, if there has been a critique about the film length. Certainly for me, that's been one of the minor criticisms is the length of the film. Um... So we will be getting a third film, if not also a fourth film. But his whole spiel is insane murder. But like I say, we don't know anything about his background, where he has come from. But as far as we know, he is a, a human, a man, who seems to have been empowered um, by, by something. And if you get through Terrifier 2, you'll have even more questions as to exactly what is this thing <laughs> because the 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 end credit scene and stick around with the credits or the the initial credits because you get a batshit insane scene which again will kind of raise questions as to what is art the clown which takes us next to clowns not of this earth the killer clowns from outer space what is scary about the killer clowns from outer space? Well, this one, I, I, I don't think there's anything scary about the killer clowns from outer space. It very much, uh, to me, is a, a comedy B-movie horror. Um, but we're this time taking the approach of aliens have come to Earth, and we've reviewed this film uh, about a month or so back. Aliens have come to Earth that happen to look like grotesque deformities of clowns or what, what what earth conceives as clowns and clearly it's not just a case of what we conceive as clowns but it seems to be that clowns actually come from space because it's not just their appearance but the fact they have a clown car that fits a whole ton of them they come in a big top uh they um 
they have like a popcorn gun that creates a trail for them to follow uh they they take people in candy floss uh to harvest them for their bodily fluids their bodily essence as fuel and food um but this takes the approach of clowns being not just a evil presence a demonic entity uh but deformed jokesters that aren't of this earth um bruce todd and killer clowns are getting a game which i'm skeptical about yeah killer clowns it's kind of similar to like the evil dead game which is fun but it's just not my type of game and the texas chainsaw massacre game we're getting soon same sort of concept of uh, an asymmetric i believe is the term uh, which I always thought meant top down, but it's not. That's that's a different type of thing. Um, it's uh, essentially yeah, multiplayer. People play as the killers. People play as the survivors. One has to beat the other. Um, these clowns came for the whole town. Yes, they weren't just after one person trying to kill. They were looking to take over the whole town. Um, it does have one scene that I always found quite creepy when I first saw it, where they use a police officer, a police sergeant who's a dickhead as a human puppet um kind of playing him like a slappy the dummy a ventriloquist dummy <laughs> that i always thought was quite creepy quite a creepy scene but really this is played up for uh the b movie b movie schlocky horror comedy it's it's the representation being they're not of this earth uh now what is the next one i've got We'll go. Actually, now we'll go to Canada. Uh, we we're going to talk about one slightly different, but I haven't pulled up their information, so I will do that. I will do that now while I am talking to um, slow things down. Uh, do we are going to go for the obscure film, which I think isn't necessarily a good film, but the clown I think is very creepy in it, and that is Clown at Midnight or The Clown at Midnight. So, this is, believe it or not, a Hallmark Entertainment film. Um, it stars, as you can see on the screen there, Tatiana Ali of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Also, James Duvall, who's been in a ton of things, like May. Uh, he was in the Greg Araki's Teenage Apocalypse trilogy, totally fucked up the Doom Generation, and nowhere. He gets his dick off in the Doom Generation. That's the only film of the trilogy I saw. It's weird. Um, and that's even before he gets his dick cut off. Uh, Margot Kidder is also in this. And Christopher Plummer. So it's got it's got quite a cast. It's got quite a cast. Um, like I said, this is a film a lot of people don't haven't really heard of. Um, and I haven't been able to track it down, although I think potentially the whole film might actually be on YouTube, which I don't advocate as a way to watch films that you should pay for um but sometimes if a film's not available then what can you do um yeah the whole film is on youtube not that i advocate watching it that way um but this is a 1999 canadian slash film directed by jean pellerin starring sarah Lazette, um Lassez, james duvar tatiana ali christopher Plummer, and margot kidder so this uh, I can't even remember if this guy was a ghost or not. He's not a ghost, but we have a killer who's a clown, and it's set in a uh, in a theatre, 
regarding the performance of uh, Paglia Pagliacci. Um, the opera house kind of closed down. It's kind of, I guess, like a mixture of like Phantom of the Opera mixed with like stage fright to a degree. Um, like I say, the film itself is not that great, but this is a deranged killer clown. And if you want a scary clown in a horror film, I think this is kind of it. You look at the face, the appearance has kind of got like a toned down Tim Curry's Pennywise look. He's a mute clown playing like, uh, I guess, the um, the sad clown appearance. I know that there's some key mark clown makeup styles. I don't know. I, I'm not a clown aficionado. Um, but he has some moments where he's generally quite unnerving. This is another film, as we talked about before, a lot of my film education was getting Sky, my family getting Sky cable TV in the early 2000s, and seeing horror, a lot of horror, on the sci-fi channel when it was SCI-FI. I saw The Thing on there. I saw sequels for um, Leprechaun, Critters, um, Children of the Corn, all these sort of different varied horror films. And that is where I first saw Clown at Midnight. And it was because of this clown that it stuck with me. I haven't seen the film since then, since probably 2001, maybe, 2002 at most. Um, thank you, Fran, for deleting the naughty chat that's been appearing. Uh, ignore the naughty chat don't click on it um my name is not on the chat margot killer from black christmas my fave slasher the clown looks like it from 2018 said the king of wakamundo my name is not road warrior clown what is this movie uh king of wakamundo tatiana was one of my childhood crushes can't forget about my girl stacy dash uh Kazen reminds me of those early mcdonald's commercials from the 60s and yes this is a technically a hallmark film although it's a horror uh bruce todd <laughs> too late i clicked on it king oh no king <laughs> so like i say if you want to venture out and watch this film it's got some cool clown deaths in it clown kills the clown i do think is generally quite creepy but this is a slasher film from 1999 and whilst it's got a good cast it's not necessarily a good film but i do think the clown in it is one of the most underrated clowns in clown in clown horror uh which then moves us on to a different kind of clown we've had uh potentially supernatural violent murder death machines we've had alien clowns we've now had a slasher clown of bad film territory but good kills and creepiness we're now going to go to the type of clown where I don't necessarily think they're scary, but they're very impactful. And I think this is the best of this kind of subgenre of clown. And that is the smudged grease, grease paint clown. The dirty clown, as it were. And that's the best of them, Captain Spaulding. Uh, it's appeared in three films, so you can probably, there's probably some, you know, kind of side appearances that don't really count. But, um,. Born Johnny Lee Jones, also known as Cutter, Captain Spaulding, portrayed by Sid Haig, has been in the Rob Zombie films, House of a Thousand Corpses, The Devil's Rejects, and very briefly in Three from Hell. Unfortunately, Sid Haig passed during production of that, or, you know, early in, uh, you know he was very ill and, and passed uh, a couple of years back, R.I.P. But, um... This is the kind of the subgenre of clown where it's 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 a human, it's a sadistic human, and he has that appearance of the grimy, almost 
homeless looking clown where there his makeup is done fairly well but he still has that real kind of creepy element of i'm being a clown i'm a happy nice guy clown but you look at my setting if you look close enough the black teeth the not completely white makeup it's smudged in areas and that you know degrades as the as the films go on the first two films go on should say um and when you start to look past the the appearance you see that there's the sinister side here he's appearing as a happy jovial place but in a murder museum uh in in these locations he kind of gives off that aesthetic of a uh, maybe his influence as a human variation of pogo the clown the uh, the clown i believe that uh, john wayne gacy portrayed uh, i should say john wayne gacy didn't kill as a clown i know that sort of featured in one of the episodes of dharma as far as i'm aware he didn't the clown it just happened to be that he was a a serial killer that also appeared as clowns at kids parties um i don't think they necessarily overlapped as far as i'm aware i don't think he dressed up as that but it's easy to think of him as the clown killer because of course he was a clown who also killed uh, so I guess we kind of get a bit of that aesthetic here with this serial killer clown man. Uh, he is featured more prominently, I believe, in uh, The Devil's Rejects and the House of Other Corpses. He has a, a fairly subdued role. He appears in some some key moments. He essentially leads the characters to their doom, sending them to the House of Thousand Corpses. But he does have some moments where you really see the evil side of him, that this isn't a guy to be trifled with. Certainly more so in The Devil's Rejects, where he's almost a pseudo-anti-hero protagonist who happens to also, I believe, he rapes someone at the start of the film, potentially. Commits a whole load of murders. Um, but this is the this is the type of clown where... you. I guess the thing here is you don't really know who that is behind the makeup. The makeup can have a fake smile. They could be put on a smile, but you look close enough and uh, they can't be trusted. Or I wouldn't trust them. Um, don't worry, my name is not L. They'll be featured shortly. They're coming up next, actually. Um, bonk, no horny, Bruce Todd says. Fran, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're all on about who we're going to be talking about next. Don't worry. Um, Kaizen, Captain Spaulding, I. Uh, it's funny in that film. Um, Captain Sporting for President, my name is not Earl, says. So next up, we get uh, we get a different tinge. We get the man that was a clown by profession, but in death becomes a ghost clown, zombie clown? A clown out for murderous retribution, and that is Stitches. Uh, so Stitches, we talked about well, actually, I don't think we've talked about on this show. On my Twitch channel, we'll occasionally watch a couple of horror films every couple of weeks or so, depending on what's available. I kind of base it every so often. If I've got like a free night, like on a Saturday, Friday or Saturday night, um, I will have a look at what's available on Amazon Prime here in the UK for, for Twitch watch parties. And if you're in the Discord, I will put in the Discord if I'm going to be watching something for a watch party um and more often i'll try to focus on something new that's come out or if there's anything prominent that i've i've ideally not seen or looks interesting but i saw that this was on there and i have seen this many years ago but a lot of the guys watching live including fran including gruff um hadn't seen hadn't seen this i think baby ice was there as well and so we watched stitches so stitches 2012 comedy slasher directed by Conor McMahon and written by McMahon and David O'Brien stars Ross Noble who's more commonly known over here as a comedian 
Um, we don't really hear too much from him. I think he's moved to Australia, I might have heard. Um, but he was a fairly, fairly big uh, English stand-up comedian and actor. I, I guess he's still doing stuff. Doing theatre now, I believe, so... Yeah. Um, but he appeared in this as a kids performer clown who... <laughs> He was a normal sort of nice guy who also, he just didn't happen to be on living well. I don't think living as a clown is a luxurious life. He lived in a caravan where he would often have sexual relations. Um, and he just so happened to be just a man working a job that's a clown. Unfortunately, on one of his uh, clown parties, he ends up accidentally dying in quite a horrific manner. And uh, one year later... He arrives, I think it's a year later, it's not a year later, it might be ten years later, because they're little kids at the initial party, but he, he comes back and uh, terrorises this kid's party with some pretty gruesome murders, as we saw uh, on the screen a bit earlier on when he inflates some kid's head to the point of exploding. Um, this is that mixture of, they were once human, but they're now otherworldly, clown, Um who uses comedic kills along with some generally good um, comedy. This is that kind of bridge between B-movie horror that we saw in Killer Clowns from Outer Space and more of the slasher elements that we would have seen in something like, you know, not to the extent of Terrify or to a lesser extent, you know, Devil's Rejects, House of a Thousand Corpses, but certainly something like uh, Clown at Midnight, the slasher elements there, and some of the things we see later on. It's kind of bridging those gaps um, in there. So Bruce Todd said, Stitches is a blast, absolutely worth seeing if you haven't. Fran the Can, yeah, it's a 10-year gap in that, yep. Um, my name's Noel, Captain Spawn for President. Uh, Fran, yep, we watched, uh, we watched Stitches in a watch party not too long ago. Uh, yeah, it's an international co-production between Ireland, Sweden, and the United Kingdom. I think it might still be on um, Prime. It's a real shame. This film—it's a two million dollar budget, only made sixty-three k at the box office. So hopefully, it did all right on home video. I think it's a criminally underseen film, um, and I think it's very, very unique. And Ross Noble's great in this film, and the, all the cast do well. It's quite a young cast in it; they do excellently. So I guess keeping on with the theme of supernatural back from the dead we move to the realm of television for twisty the clown twisty the clown man okay what to say here so this was again another unfortunate symptom of american horror story where we're going into a new series with a very unique approach freak show sounds interesting i remember seeing freaks todd browning's freaks when i did um film studies at brockner's college for for a year i was only at brockner's college for a few months because i hated it um but we did film studies one of the better classes and we watched todd browning's freaks so with them doing a show called freak show but this time set in the 50s not you know like the 20s or whatever i was fairly interested um i i i tapped out of coven halfway through because just every episode someone was dying and then they were back in the next episode and i was just like i've just gotten what, what what's the point in having impactful kills if they literally do not matter because that kill that person comes back from the dead oh because they're witches so they can come back from the dead either way i could always go on about the complaints of why the american horror story series in my view let themselves down from being good shows uh but freak show we're introduced to twisty the clown who 
as you can see there, such a unique appearance. This is a clown who's wearing what appears to be someone else's skull, uh, someone else's kind of... Um, that's the top of their skull, basically, uh, along with this mask, which I guess you can kind of see may have been a bit of an influence later on with something like the black phone, having this partial mask look um, of just this uh, just quite horrifying, massive grin on his face. Um, I did have something up about um, Twisty the Clown. Can I get to it so I can talk about his backstory? Because... From memory, he is, again, a fucking ghost. Which I've said briefly earlier on about my views on how they portray ghosts. It's not for me. It's not for me. So, yeah, he is wearing that mask because he attempted suicide, but it didn't work. He mutilated his lower jaw, and he started wearing the grinning mask over the lower part of his face to kind of cover that. He then tried to perform as a clown at the Elsa's Freak Show, was turned away. He then snapped on a killing spree, abducting children to be his audience while murdering their mean parents. Uh, da 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 da. Cora hides, hires Twisted to entertain Dandy, who becomes his accomplice. Yeah, this is where I was starting to go, oh, what, how's, what, what is going on with this? Twisted and Dandy hold a magic show on Halloween before Jimmy knocks Dandy unconscious and blah blah blah. Twisted then knocks Jimmy out before encountering Edward Mordrake. Da, 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 da. Twisty tells Mordrake his story. Mordrake deems the clown suitable to be in his entourage of damned souls and kills him. Yeah, so he gets killed halfway through the season. What was the point? Again, it's a good series, my, um, King. This is one of the series that I actually got through to the end. But again, it, it felt like interesting premise, good first half of the season, and then meandering, meandering to the finale. Um, I do think this is probably one of the better seasons. I'd say this is maybe up there with the first season. Uh, and on the whole, Roanoke was a little bit messy, but I think it was all right, kind of, by the end. Um, but yeah, Twisted the Clown. Interesting look. Um, he's got that look because of attempted suicide that went wrong. The dirt It's that mixture of the dirty clown along with the... Uh, becoming becoming a ghost so the the mixture of kind of stitches they all kind of have certain elements of overlap with who they are what they are motivations if they have any but that then leads us to something completely otherworldly to finish the show and we couldn't do a show about killer clowns without talking about my real introduction into the world of horror and that is pennywise the clown it um so really and we're not going to talk specifically about one it or the other it or whatever but uh, as i may have mentioned before on the show my interest in horror started because of tim curry's pennywise and i should correct that by saying tim curry's appearance as pennywise because i didn't watch the 1990 miniseries until a bit much later but we used to have at my local shop uh, a you could have VHS rentals when I was a little kid. And I remember seeing the cover art for things like Army of Darkness, um, a few other things, and then Stephen King's It with Tim Curry on the front cover. And seeing this horrible-looking clown uh, with a demonic sort of like lizard 
hand and then on the back the words it written in blood i was way too young to watch it my mom didn't want me to see it. i think she'd seen it on tv and there was a bit of a hoo-ha about uh you know the, when this first aired in 1990 and this would have been in the vhs section in probably i guess i don't know 95 i would have been way too young to notice it you know earlier than that um but it was the appearance that just kind of freaked me out because it's a clown. I know what clowns were. I've been to the circus. Clowns are these jovial jokesters who have white painted faces that joke around and fall over. But here was something that just looked menacing because something wasn't quite right. Why was there blood on this? Why was this box a 15, which I guess is like a TV 14 in America? Um, why did it have this horrible hand? Why was there blood on the back? All these things, which then led me to finding it, the novel, being one of the earliest novels that I kind of read. I did have to go back to it a few times because early on I'd had set myself up to fail by jumping from Goosebumps to Stephen King's It, which is 1,100, 1,200 pages long. I read things like Salem's Lot, Tommy Knockers, and then came back to it. Well, I've read it a couple of times since then. It's a great novel. Yes, there's a couple of moments which you just think, fucking hell, Stephen King, why have you included that? Um, we won't go into those. Uh, but generally, on the whole, it's got some scary moments in the book. And um, the 1990 miniseries. And then we had It Chapter 1, It Chapter 2 more recently. 2017, I think Chapter 2 is 2018, 2019? 2018. It was released, yep. Oh, no, it concluded in November. When did it get fucking released? 2019, right, there we go. Um, it Chapter 2, I don't think, is very good. But It Chapter 1, I think, has its moments. Uh, it certainly does have some, some good moments. But I do much prefer the design of classic Pennywise. Um, I like uh, Bill Skarsgård's Pennywise, certainly more violent, because of what you could get away with on, on film in this day and age, as opposed to what you could on network TV in the 90s. You don't see any sort of violence, especially against violence against kids, on that. But the appearance of Tim Curry, just those moments of him being a jovial, almost dark, sinister moments to then what we see on screen just then when his his eyes go yellow and his teeth go into these jagged claws, uh, the jagged sort of fangs. Um, just incredible, just incredible. Uh, he's still my Pennywise. But in terms of clowns... We now have this supernatural entity, and like we said about the appearance, you see a clown circus makes sense. Clown knocks at your door at two in the morning, terrifying. And this, the first time you see Pennywise, is in a storm drain. Uh, and for a little kid, we had the moment of unnerving, but then the clown said, oh, my circus blew away. I, I ended up down this storm drain. Um, but the whole circus is down here, and it's playing on the naivety of kids. And... As the film, or as the books progress, the book progresses and the film progresses, we find out that this thing isn't just a clown. The clown is what it portrays as its most common thing because it feeds on fear, and the fear of children tastes better. Fear is essentially salting the meat, uh, as, as, as it says. Uh, but it takes the appearance of a clown because then it's easier to get closer to children, which is what it eats. And so this we have is a cosmic entity. It's not sorry, it's a supernatural entity. It's a cosmic entity, something out of H.P. Lovecraft, that has come from outside of our universe 
been on this earth for thousands of years and feasted and gone to hibernation every so often its appearances started and ended or its cycle starting and ended by cataclysmic events the start will be some form of horrible tragedy and then there'll be some or you know weather event and something similar will happen to kind of end its cycle um and people just kind of forget that kids are going missing every 27 years it's a small town doesn't have that the news doesn't come onto the town to to cover it so you know we've had our alien kill killers and i guess you could call this an alien killer but it's slightly different this is uh it won't just appear as a clown it will appear as whatever your darkest fear is and it will prey on it and manipulate you but uh it also shows its moments of fears because it's up until it and meeting the losers club it had never been hurt so what we're seeing in the chat Bruce Todd, I'm every nightmare you've ever had. I'm your worst dream come true. I'm everything you were ever afraid of. Kaiser, 1990s one messed me up as a kid. A King, the original TV series had a little bit more possess uh, to it, and the new movie only had a good clown and no good storyline. Plus, it didn't eat children. It made no sense. Um, King, um, pizzazz to it. Oh, it didn't um, have a bit more pizzazz to it. My name is not Earl. It miniseries was my childhood. Watched it all the time. The chapter movies are fine. Around the canon, I think each version does something better than the other. Bruce Todd, the new ones are great, but Bill can never match uh, Tim's true absolute creepiness. Um, yeah, I mean, the only thing that I thought with chapter two, um, I mean, I like that it covered certain aspects from the book and some things they tried to make work for the film. They tried to cover the whole thing of you know it's been two years since the last film the kids have grown as kids will do as they're going through like puberty but they try to do this kind of like de-aging thing with them because their voices will change the boys voices will changed um <clears throat> i kind to me i kind of think the audiences would would have accepted that some time has passed even though for the characters these flashback events are meant to be happening at the same time as what was happening in it, chapter one because <clears throat> By the end of it, chapter one is them dispersing as kids. So these are going back to moments that would have happened during those moments. I think audiences would have accepted that the kids are going to have grown a couple of years. They're going to have changed slightly. And I do think it was a bit more jarring trying to like, superimpose their face on... I don't know if they superimpose the faces on actors to make them smaller or whatnot, because some of them will have had growth spurts, I imagine. And also, like, the lowering of the voices, just it, that just, it just felt a little bit jarring. But I get that they wanted to try and keep the authenticity and wanted to bring the kids back, because the kids did such a good job in the chapter one. But I do think you, people, people would have accepted that, okay, a little bit of time's passed since you filmed it. I don't know. It felt a bit, a bit, you know... Um, Bruce on the chat emergency down to my last bit but still got a half bottle of whiskey left oh no oh no Bruce um, Bill Skarsgård I do think was a great Pennywise he was great Tim Curry's my Pennywise uh, but Bill Skarsgård did a good job and the you know <clears throat> I think the only other thing that was a little bit jarring is when you saw the kids all floating and I get it we all float we all float down here but then if the kids are floating around what's he eating is he actually eating them okay if he's not then if, he, if he's living off their essence why did he bite off Georgie's arm? You know, it's just these little things. If you wanted to nitpick, these are only things I'm only thinking of now. When I've watched the films, I've gone, okay, fine. Because in the books, we all float is more of a, you know, there's not all these kids floating in the air. It's more of a kind of a, a phrasing in regards to the deadlights. When you see the deadlights, you will float, you'll float too, you know, because it's basically madness, all this stuff. When you see what it really looks like, all that stuff, all that HP Lovecraft metaphysical stuff. 
So, we, we've run over, only about 10 minutes, but we have covered Clowns in Horror. There's probably other ones I'll have missed, no doubt, but I think we've covered the main hitters, really, and we've covered the main bases. So, what's coming up this week on the Ministry of Slam Network, the MOS Network? Lawrence, I believe, will be doing some gaming in the week. Not too sure what days or what games, but I know he's got his uh, Ghostbusters game and he's been playing Chivalry 2, I believe. Uh, in a week or two, I think it's the 19th it might come out. 18th, maybe. Not too sure. I think it's maybe the week of the 18th. Whenever it is, a couple of weeks' time, I will have um, Dark Pictures Anthology, Devil and Me, and I will be streaming that, so just keep an eye on the Discord um, to know when that is. There should be a link in the Discord in the chat, although I'm not sure if that's working anymore. Um, I think um, I think Lawrence is going to look at that, because I don't know. I don't know that side of things. But if you haven't already joined the Discord... We can send you a link at some point. <laughs> there are links to the Discord, the MOS network. Um, well, yeah, there'll be some more gaming on that. Turning Ears was last week. Um, Barracles podcast with Dave. Um, and then there's no more Ministry of Dragons. So on Saturday, dropped the last episode of Ministry of Dragons. I've had a blast doing the show with my co-host Jamie. Good friend of mine I've known for most of my life. Um, and we've had a good time talking about House of the Dragon. We are talking at some point, although there's no time scale on when to do it, of doing a like monthly um, MIA, Ministry in Action, uh, talk about action films, old school action films. I think the idea, if we do do that, would be like a once a month audio audio only podcast. I've got no interest in in doing that on video. I'd have to talk talk with lawrence about how we want to how we want to do that because there's a lot of new things on the horizon for the mos network on the youtube channel so it's obviously just finding the right sort of position of time slot all that kind of stuff but i do think that would be a lot of fun because just those old school action films are just excellent and there's a whole ton that i've not seen so ideally i'd want to talk about the classics but then also the uh the unknown gems um <laughs> okay they're talking about the odd bit in the in the book of it yeah we won't, we won't go into that um <laughs> uh, but yeah and then obviously on sunday 7 p.m uk 2 p.m eastern is the ministry of slam the flagship show on the mos network we'll have a lot to talk about no doubt we'll also be reviewing crown jewel as that uh as that goes down on saturday i think lawrence is talking about possibly doing a watch a watch long reactions maybe i'm not too sure don't don't take my word for that but I think you might try and watch that live because that's that'll be a reasonable time for us here in the UK. I think five PM. Anyway, thank you very much for sticking around. Uh, if you haven't already, please hit like and subscribe on the YouTube channel. It really does help. Memberships are open, super chat, all that good stuff. They're all there. You can do that if you're listening to this on audio platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all those good things. Uh, please give us a five star review. It really does help. And you can also do memberships through there if you so wish. Cool stuff on the memberships like new emojis. You can get us to review stuff. We're going to be finally uploading the video of uh, our review of Funny Game shortly and um, I need to speak to Gruff about doing his review because he's picked a film out for reviews as a member and um, and then um, I'm not too sure what you're talking about King of Porno <laughs> um, and um, da -da 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 -da, that's all that kind of stuff we should end the poll actually we had a poll running over who's your favourite clown in horror so we're going to end that poll while I remember 
So the winner with 47% is Art the Clown, followed by 29% Pennywise, Killer Clowns from Outer Space, and 23%. No one likes Twisty from American Horror Story. Uh, <laughs> uh, Bruce Tom chat, no bother. Cheers, another great episode. Have a groovy one. I like the US funny games. Best of the cast is better. Yeah, we'll have the review of that coming up, and like I say, we'll have the review for the film that... Uh, uh, that Gruff has picked shortly. I think we're going to have Gruff on an episode in a few weeks' time. I need to confirm, you know, when. Um, and then we'll probably do the review at the same time because I think it'll be good for, for that to have him back on the show while I do the review. So, we're going to run to the credits. If your name isn't featured on the credits, apologies. I've not got the up-to-date credits. I don't have the list either of the credits. But uh, thank you, if you're a member. It really does help. Really appreciate it. Uh, puts into the running costs of the show. Have a ghoul evening, ghouls and fiends, and I'll catch you again next time. Ghoul, bye.